Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that I'd like to study with you on this sixth Sunday of Easter and this Mother's Day is the Gospel reading from John 14. It's printed out in the worship folder if you'd like to follow along. First, I'd like to say a happy Mother's Day to all of the moms who are here today. I'm assuming that most, if not all of you, you love your mom, right? But why? Do you love your mom so that she might love you back? Probably not. That's backwards, isn't it? We love our moms because they loved us first. Your mom literally carried you within her body for nine months. She gave birth to you. She washed under your armpits and between your toes and she wiped your stinky little hiney. She taught you how to say please and thank you and be polite. She, she nurtured you and, and perhaps most of all, she loved you or loves you unconditionally. Dads, sometimes we have standards or you have to do things the right way. Mom, she just loves you. Even when you were sassy, disrespectful, and disobedient, she still loved you. And that's why we love our moms back. And we take a day like today to show love to our moms, maybe by giving a phone call or buying a cart, maybe even writing a nice little note in it, maybe going out to brunch or spending time. And, and if, if, like me, you, your mom's already gone, you at least spend the day saying, thank you, God, for giving my mom as long as I had her. How about God? Do you love God like you love your mom? Why would you love God? And how would you show love to God? Jesus addresses that at the very beginning of our reading today. You might have noticed this is a continuation of the gospel reading we heard last week. Words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on Monday, Thursday evening, knowing that very soon he would be suffering his death. And, and not long after that, he would be leaving them on his ascension, which will be coming up later this week. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. He tells us exactly how to love God. The problem is that in general, we don't like commands. We don't like commandments or rules. We don't want anybody else telling us what to do or how to do it. And so today, I want to wrestle with the question, why would you love God? And if loving God means keeping Jesus' commands, then why would you keep Jesus' commands? But we have to go back to that very first little word, if. If you love me, Jesus said. I don't know if he's wanting his disciples to question that or not, but it causes me to question myself, do I love God? And when I ask the question, I have to confess that at one point in history, I didn't. And I couldn't. And that's true for all of us. Now, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them, remember, in his image, perfect and holy and righteous. And Adam and Eve had love for God. It was natural. And they had the opportunity to keep loving God, but 
they sinned. And now we're all born in sin, and because we're born with a sinful nature, we simply did not love God. And we could not on our own. Paul said in Romans 8, 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. So it's not just that we don't love God, it's, it's that we didn't even want to. God was our enemy. And there was nothing that we could do to change that. By nature, we did not have the ability to simply choose to start loving God. And we had no reason to do so. Even after God changed that, which we'll talk about in a minute, even now when I can honestly say I I do love God, I still have to confess that sometimes I don't show that love. And I don't always keep Jesus' commands or even want to. In fact, it's even worse than when I was sassy or disrespectful. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I was really sassy and disrespectful. This is even worse because every sin that I commit is a sin against God. It, It makes me realize, at least it ought to, that God has no good reason to love me. He shouldn't, but he does. And that's what's so amazing about God's love. God loved, and I'm talking in the past to begin, God loved you. Not just at some point in history. God loved you even before there was history, even before time, even before God created the world. From eternity, God loved you. In fact, I could argue that one of the reasons God created the world and everything in it, one of the reasons he put Adam and Eve in the garden to create uh, the human race was because God loved you. Yes, all of you, but also each and every one of you. From eternity, God loved you so much that he chose you to be his own dear child. Now, your mom couldn't even do that unless you were adopted. But moms can ask God for a child and and God can grant the blessing, but, but moms don't get to choose their children, so to speak. But God, he chose you. And he knew. God knew that you would be Sassy and disrespectful and disobedient. Isn't that an amazing thing about being a parent? You know that you're going to give birth to sinful little brats, but you still want them. And so did God. And again, not just some children. God wanted you to be his child. But because he knew that we would all be born as rebellious sinners, God also, because he loved you, he planned and promised to send a Savior to redeem you and to bring you back into his family. And and he didn't just send someone to be the Savior, but God the Father sent his one and only Son. I'm not sure we regularly appreciate the depth of that love. If you have children, would you be willing to sacrifice your child for anybody else on the face of the earth? And yet God willingly sacrificed his own son, the only perfectly loving son, for everyone else. 
And then Jesus showed his love for you too. Though he is the Son of God from all eternity, he came. He didn't say, oh, come on, Dad, why do I always have to be the one? Well, because you're the only one, Jesus. Yeah, but I don't want to go. Jesus didn't do that. God the Father said, son, I need you to go and become the Savior of the people we've created. And Jesus said, okay, Father, I will go. And then he became human. Would you be willing to become an ant to save all of the ants? It's not exactly the same, but, but Jesus humbled himself and became the humans that he had created just so that he could save us. Jesus humbled himself in two specific ways, and I know I said this two weeks ago at confirmation, but we forget. He humbled himself by becoming or being born under the law. Even though he is God and he is above the law with no obligation to keep it, he offered to be born under the law and keep the very same commands that he asks us to keep. And he did that first because he loved God, his Father, but also because he loved you. And then he went a step further. And Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for sin. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he didn't even stop there. In fact, Peter talked about this. I don't know if you caught this in our epistle lesson, but when in the Apostles' Creed we confess he descended into hell, Peter mentioned that, that after Jesus died and was buried, but before he rose from the dead, he went and he, it says he preached to the spirits in prison. He wasn't preaching like we think about it, like trying to get them to repent, but he was proclaiming his victory. He had won. He had defeated sin, Satan, death, and hell. And then Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples as, we, as we've been hearing these past few weeks, all before he ascended back into heaven. But on Monday, Thursday evening, Jesus made a promise. He said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Two weeks from now, we'll celebrate Pentecost when Jesus kept the promise to send the Holy Spirit on the disciples. He did that for their benefit, to be sure. But he also sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost because he loved you. He sent the Spirit so that the disciples would have the courage and the power and the boldness that they needed to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And they did that. The disciples proclaimed the gospel, Jesus as Savior, to the generation after them. And that generation proclaimed it to the next generation, and then to the next generation, and then to the next generation, and then to the next generation. And finally, it came to you. The Holy Spirit loved you so much that he was willing to work on your heart. Because we're born in sin, in Ezekiel, God describes our hearts like a heart of stone. I mean, it's just, it's rock hard. It, it's no love. It's only hatred. But the Holy Spirit came, likely when your mom and dad brought you to the font of baptism, and he turned your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He took the work that Jesus had done, the perfect life and the, the innocent death, and he applied it to your heart so that he could wash away your sins. As Peter also described, the waters of the flood saved Noah and his family in the, in the ark. 
Peter said that water is like baptism that saves you. Because through the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit washed away your sin. He clothed you in Christ's righteousness. And that's the day when he gave you real life and made you a child of God. Now that's all in the past. God loved you. Can't we also say that God still loves you? God the Father didn't just create the world or give you life and wish you luck. God the Father preserves you. He gave you your mom and your dad and likely many other loving family members, but primarily your parents to provide for you and protect you. It's, it's God who makes the sun come up and, and sends the rain so that things grow. God gave animals for food and clothing and even some for pets. It's God who gives us the ability and the opportunity to go to work. It's God who gives us everything that we have, even the government. I know. We don't always like the way the government functions, but isn't it great that there's local police and fire and emergency responders? Isn't it great to have water and sewer and somebody that comes and picks up your garbage every week? Isn't it nice to know that there is an army out there who seeks to protect us from the dangers of the world? And not only them, but God sends his angels to watch over you and guard you and protect you. Jesus, too, even though his work of earning your salvation is fully completed and there's nothing else to do to forgive your sins or bring you into heaven, Jesus, he still works for you. He told his disciples he was going to prepare a place for you. He's in heaven sitting on the throne of God, ruling over all things to make sure that everything, even the worst tragic things you have ever experienced, that they're all for your eternal good. As your priest, Jesus prays for you. As your prophet, Jesus continues to send pastors and teachers and staff ministers to proclaim the gospel. Yesterday, I had the chance between a, a wedding and service to catch just a little bit of Martin Luther College's call service where God sent, I don't know, a hundred teachers all across the country to proclaim the gospel. And he'll do the same at the seminary this week. And that brings us back to the Holy Spirit. Let me read again verse 16. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Sometimes that word is translated comforter. The actual word is paraclete, which we don't say very often. But that word simply means someone who is called to be by your side. In fact, Jesus took it a step further and he said, not only would the Holy Spirit be by your side, but he would be within you. The Holy Spirit loves you so much that he continues to work on your heart. Again, he didn't just give you faith one time at your baptism, but every single day as you relive your baptism by confessing your sin, the Holy Spirit drowns that sinful nature in you and he raises up a new person. He strengthens your faith. It's the Holy Spirit who, as Jesus describes, brings the Father and the Son to live with him in your heart. That's what we pray when we pray thy kingdom come. We pray that the, the Spirit would bring Jesus into our hearts and get rid of the devil. It's the Holy Spirit who convinces you when you come to communion that you're not just eating bread and drinking wine. You're receiving the body and blood of Christ to assure you your sins really are 
forgiven. It's the Holy Spirit who every single time you hear God's word continues to give you not just faith that one day you'll go to heaven, but it gives you faith in all of God's promises, especially that God loves you. Even when things aren't going well, even when you sinned again, even when it doesn't feel like it or look like it. And the Holy Spirit convinces you that one day, because God loved you and loves you, He will deliver you from all evil and take you to the perfect world that He has prepared for you. Isn't that why you love God? You love God because he first loved you, because he still loves you, and because he will always love you. And if you love God, then Jesus said, keep his commands. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's not a you better. It's really an invitation. And Jesus reminded us in Matthew 11 that his commands are not burdensome, they're, they're not guilt, but especially when we trust in him, they're light and easy, and they actually bring relief. Because Jesus promises that when we keep his commands, he will continue to bless us. You remember what the commands are, right? If you wanted to summarize all of the commandments with one word, that word would be? Love, thank you. And if we separate the commandments, the first table of the law is to love God, and the second table is to love everyone else. So how do you love God? Isn't that why you're here today? One of the best ways we can show love to our mom or anyone else is to spend time with them. And so God invites you every single week to gather with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to spend time with Him we show love to God not by coming because we need to be here. That's true. But we show love to God when we come to worship so that we can worship him and say, God, you are God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and I know what you did for me, and I know what you're still doing for me, and I, I know what you've promised me, so I just want to say thank you. That's why we begin our worship with a song of praise and thanks to God. We worship God when we confess our sin and acknowledge that we need Him to forgive us. We worship God when we trust in that forgiveness. We worship God when we take time to listen to Him speak to us and trust that His Word is more important than anything else we could be doing on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning. We worship God then after we hear His Word by giving Him an offering. We don't give offerings because we're supposed to or because the church is always asking for money. We give offerings because we say, God, everything I have came from you. Here's a little way for me to say thank you. And that's why we bring them up and present them to God on the altar. We worship God with our prayers. We worship God when we ask him to put his name on us and as we leave, remind us that we belong to him and that we want to worship him the rest of the week. We do that when we also spend time with God at home and when we love others. And it doesn't always have to be that hard. In fact, at men's group this month, two men shared a similar story but disconnected. One gentleman met a homeless man in a parking lot at a gas station and offered him some help 
And when the homeless man said, thank you, he said, thank the Lord whom I serve. Then they encouraged each other in their Christian faith. The second gentleman met a homeless man in a parking lot at a grocery store, and this man actually approached him and said, I have a wife and a child, and we're just looking for a place to stay for the night. He offered him some assistance as well, but, but then asked him, do you have a church? And he said, well, we're Catholic, but we don't really go to church. And this was up on Appleton, so he said, well, I encourage you to, to check out 922 Ministries or the core on College Avenue. And, and if, you, if you have a chance, talk to Pastor Mike. That's Mike Novotny, if you've ever seen Time of Grace. He's the pastor on there, too. We don't know what happened to those men. But Jesus said, Whatever you do for others, the least of these, you do it for me. Maybe it's not a homeless person. Maybe it's your neighbor. And this week, instead of waving and saying hi, which is what I usually do, you actually walk across the street and say, how are you doing? Or maybe you help them with their spring cleanup, or you bring their garbage can back, or you, you bring their mail in, or whatever you want to do. Or maybe you call a friend or a fellow church member that you haven't seen for a while and you just check in and, and ask to pray for them, you can find hundreds of ways to love others. And why would you? Because you love God. And why do you love God? Well, for similar reason that you love your mom. You love your mom because she loved you first. She loves you unconditionally, even when you're sassy and disrespectful and disobedient. God loves you even more than your mom. God loved you from eternity. God loved you enough to send his son who loved you enough to die for you, who loved you enough to send the spirit, who loved you enough to give you faith in your heart. Every single day, God shows you his love and he promises his love into eternity. And that's why we love God. And that's why we want to keep Jesus' commands. Amen.